0: Good morning, and welcome again to the Alamo City family. We sing and hear a lot of Christmas songs during this time of year, and there have been some that are have been a part of the church, um, part of our hymns and Christmas carols for hundreds of years. It's rare that one comes along later that will have as much impact as "Hark! The Herald Angels Sing" and some of the others that we that we sing, but I, I don't know of one that has been recent, written recently that has any more of the truth about who Jesus is than the one we just heard Esther and our, our praise team sing. Amen? You know, all the way from what he did when he walked the face of this earth all the way out to the fact that one day this Jesus will rule the nations. That he's, we hadn't seen the last of him. This world has not, the scene, has not seen the last of him. Amen, amen. We we must never see, as as I think Kurt mentioned earlier, we, we should not just view Christmas as a standalone event. The birth of Jesus was the beginning of so many, many things and the fulfillment of many things that he walked the face of the earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And to as many as received him, to these he gave the right to be called the children of God, John 1.12. So we are gathered together this morning, not just as creations of God. All men and women and children everywhere are creations of God. But the Bible does not say that all people are children of God. All creations, but only those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, are given the right to be called The children of God. That's open to anyone, everyone, whosoever will may come. It's not limited except by the desires of the ones who would embrace Jesus or not embrace Jesus. We gather in his name. We gather in his honor. But you know what? We gather in his presence this morning. We're not worshiping somebody still dying on a cross or a crucifix. We're not uh, worshiping a baby still being held in Mary's lap. We, we worship the one who was crucified, who was buried, but who has been raised again and is alive in this room this morning. Amen. So Merry Christmas with that as being our the heart of our understanding and our truth this morning. The Father's heart for you, the Father's heart for you. What is that heart? We began speaking of that last week. This morning we come back to it again, and with with this direction, with this point, with this focus, hopefully with this spot of illumination, and it is this, the Father's hope for you. The Father's hope In the Bible, there is a word that is translated hope in English, but in the original language that the Bible was written in, in the New Testament, it is one particular word and it has two parts to it. We use the English word hope, but here are the parts to it that have to be considered when we think of when the Bible speaks of hope, specifically the New Testament, what does it mean? These two parts. One, it's an expectation, or excuse me, it is a wish, it is a desire, a wish for something to happen, a hope for something that hasn't happened, but I'm, I'm, I'm wishing for it, I'm desiring it. That's the first part. But the second part is this, an expectation that somehow, some way, somewhere, sometime, What I am wishing for is going to come to be. It's going to happen. I wish that's part of my hope, but the expectation that what I'm wishing for is going to happen. Amazingly enough, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, we find these words. Now, Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's not just you and me that hope for things, but God hopes for things. Now, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The God who has some wishes about you, has some desires for you and for me, but he also has an expectation that the things that he wishes for for us, that he desires for us, are going to happen. That it's going to be brought into reality. Even if it doesn't exist, he is the one, in Romans chapter 4, we are told he's the one who can call into being even the things that don't exist. He can cause something that is dead to live again, and he can call into being that which does not even exist. Now, may the God of hope, his hope is stronger than our hope. Because all we have in the direction of fulfillment is the strong expectation that it will come into being. But when, from God's standpoint, he speaks of hope with regard to you, there's a third dimension added to it. There's a wish, there's a desire for you, His hope for you. There's an expectation that it will happen. The third part that he has that we don't have is he's got the power to make it happen. He has the ability to do whatever it takes in your life to bring forth that which he is hoping, wishing, longing to see in your life. We find in the book of the Revelation that, that amazing statement, the, church, the, the letter being written dictated by Jesus to, to John and it was to be passed on to the, to the, to the pastors and the churches. And and it, it speaks of this one, and Jesus introduces himself as the one who holds the key of David, who opens and nobody can close, and who closes and nobody can open a door. And he looks at this church and he says, I see your deeds. I see what you're doing. I'm watching your life. And I know that you have little power in yourself, little power, but you have not denied my name, and you have kept my word. Therefore, I'm setting before you an open door which nobody can close. Now, now, folks, when and he's not writing, speaking these words to perfect people or folks who have never struggled or folks who don't have some questions about what in the world is going on in my life right now, it is written to people just like you and to me who, who are doing the best we can to look to the Lord, to seek the Lord, to try to follow the Lord. And when that's working in our hearts, that's the bent of our lives. We stand in that place of not making it difficult for the Lord to bless us with what he is hoping for us to walk in and to experience, if we if we're swinging way behind the boat, if we're if we're if we're determined to push the edges, and we're determined to just see how far we can we can get by with stuff before before the bottom falls out, there can be a, a commensurate sense inside of us that I, I don't I, I'm not really concerned that much about what God is hoping for me. I'm just just into what I want. But where there has been that other turn to happen in your life, where you've just come to realize that if if I'm living just for me, I'm living a shallow life. If if it's all about me, it's all about what I can get, it's all about what people can do for me, then that is a hollow existence. It, It can have its temporary satisfaction for a season, but it always flattens out. It always dries out. But when there is a sense, Lord, I, I want my life to honor you. I, I, want, I want my life as best I can to please you. Then folks, when, when that's your aim, it just makes it a whole lot easier for God to rend the heavens and open up what He wants to go, do and bless you with and pour it out on you—that there's there's not a restriction. There's not. It's like the same with a with a with a parent and a child, a child who is just rebellious and stubborn and just is determined to prove they're going to do it their own way. It causes a loving parent who would like to just bless the socks off that son or daughter have to step back and back up because you know if you bless them, they're liable to kill themselves with the blessings you give them. They're liable to abuse the things and hurt other people. So so you have to withdraw. You have to hold back. it's, It's the attitude of the child that can determine what the parent's able to do. The Heavenly Father can be that way in many ways. But when he looks down and he sees you wanting to please him, desiring for your life to honor him, asking for his choice and the choices that you make, Lord, what do you want me to do? And giving him a chance to respond. Then it is as if it makes it so much easier for the Lord to just say, "Uh uh-huh, that's what I'm wanting to see. That's what I desire to see. Watch my blessings, watch my favor, watch what I have been hoping to give and looking forward to give to my child. Watch this as they're poured out because the child is seeking me. Now I want to show you this morning three people out of the first chapter of the gospel of Luke. If you have your Bible, I want you to just go ahead and start turning to the gospel of Luke. We read a lot out of the second chapter of Luke at this time of the year where the angels uh, tell the shepherds what's happening in Bethlehem and they go and they find Mary and Joseph and the baby, the baby Jesus there in the manger. But we can miss some awesome prequel material, background material. For that night, starting in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke and understanding some of God's hope, God's hope, or plural, hopes for three very, very ordinary people. Sometimes we can look at ourselves and get to thinking Well, there's just not much to me. There's not just much to my life. Not rich and famous, not in a family of the rich and famous, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear this all the way down to your toenails this morning. God doesn't have to have the rich and the famous to do anything. He doesn't need people with money. He doesn't need people with heritage. He doesn't need people with a particular background or slant. What he is looking for is somebody as ordinary as you, as ordinary as me, who will say, Lord Jesus Christ, I desire you. I want you to be honored with my life. Whether it's in a little place or whether it's in a big place, Bottom line, depth of my soul, Jesus, you be honored in my life. You be glorified in my life. Folks, when you start talking like that and praying like that, you get heaven's attention. You stand out from the herd. You stand out from the culture. The culture is chasing this and chasing that and worried about this and the other thing. Somebody whose life is surrender to the Lord Jesus. It's the most simple life on the face of the earth to live. You have one person to please, and the one person you please can bless and keep and prosper and protect and honor all of the areas of your life. So choose him. For those of you who are choosing him, but your sense may be, you know, uh, not anything very... Significant about my life, or about where I come from, or the town I live in, or the street I I, I grew up on, etc., etc. The Lord has a way of choosing the extremely ordinary to do the supernaturally extraordinary things as He uses them. So don't sit there and disqualify yourself because I just seem to be so ordinary or so lost in the herd. What, what, watch these stories. There, there are three people, two of them old people, and one of them so young, they probably wouldn't have paid any attention to her. Too old, he gets here, get, get excited about, too young to take seriously. And God, out of heaven, sent an angel, Gabriel, the archangel who stands in the presence of the Lord, sent Gabriel dispatched with a message, you pick out, you tell Zacharias and you tell Elizabeth, I've chosen them. You go to Nazareth now and you find Mary, that 14, 15, 16-year-old girl, you tell her, I've chosen her. Out of all the people on the face of the earth I could have picked to be the earthly mother of my own son, I pick her. And I pick Zacharias and Elizabeth to be the mother and father of the last Old Testament prophets, to be the one who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah to say, prepare you the way of the Lord. I'm giving them the first cousin of the Son of God on the face of this earth. Ordinary people. Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, not meaning they had never sinned, not meaning they were perfect people, just meaning they were in right standing with God. They were trying to live the life that pleased him, trying to live a life that honored him. They were in right standing with God, and they were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, trying to do what he had instructed them to do. But look at verse 7. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. The first description is, They had no child. The second part of the description is they were both advanced in years. They were beyond the normal years of having children as a married couple. It came about while he, Zacharias, was performing his priest's service before God in the appointed order of his division, and he lists according to the custom and so forth of the priests at that time. Look at verse 11, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you will give him the name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. Verse 23, and it came about when these the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant. She kept her herself in seclusion for five months saying, this is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Keep going. Now in the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of Mary, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he, the angel, said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation or greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin, I'm not sleeping with anybody. I'm not married. I don't have a man. I'm not engaged in that way. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. Can somebody say amen to that? The context is this. Two old people, too old to have a baby. A virgin who has never been sexually involved with a man will have a child. The context for nothing is impossible with God is when the physical impossibilities are stacked up and God still says, I'll do it. What's this? It's coming. Mary said, behold the bond slave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. Be it done to me according to your word. Probably, maybe not with the same words, but with the same sense, Zacharias may have responded to Gabriel in the same way. What you have said to me blows my mind. What you have said to me, I see no way humanly possible, physically possible for it to happen. But at the end of the day, be it done to me according to the word of the Lord. What God says, that's what I embrace. What God says, that's what I choose as true. What God says, that will be the anchor of the hope that animates my life. Okay, let me give you just a statement. I don't want us to look back through these two situations. Here's the statement The Father's hopes for you are bigger and further than your hopes. For you. I'll say it again. The Father's hopes for you. What, what is the Father's hope? It is, a, it is a wish, it is a desire, coupled with an expectation that it's going to happen, coupled with all the power necessary, all the resources necessary to accomplish that which he is wishing for you and hoping for you. The Father's hopes for you are bigger and further than your hopes for yourself. Back to Zacharias and Elizabeth for a moment. Evidently, in their earlier married years, They had prayed for a son. They had prayed for a child. Because look at at what the angel says in verse 13. Luke 1 verse 13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition, your specific prayer. That's not the general word for prayer. It's a word that speaks of a specific request. Your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Well, the interesting thing about that, if if he was an old man and she was well-stricken in years and they had gone decades without a child, more than likely they hadn't been praying that prayer for a long time. The human impossibility had stacked up. The passage of time had stacked up. And even the absence, more than likely, of active and specific prayers was absent. But it didn't mean that God hadn't heard the expressions of the hopes of their hearts when they were in their 20s and 30s and 40s and however long they prayed before they quit praying. Just assuming that the Lord had other plans or, or that the Lord would give them enough together that, that they wouldn't necessarily need children or want children, but it was the Lord who had put it in their hearts in the first place to ask for a baby. When they prayed it, God heard it. Delay doesn't mean denial. Would you write that down on somebody's shirt in front of you? In the palm of your hand, delay does not mean denial. Here's what it can mean, child of God. Here's what it can mean. God has something better than what you had originally asked for. Here's the point. If if the Lord had given them a child in their 20s or 30s in the normal season of life, A child would have been born, a bouncy, bubbly, handsome baby boy. Nothing wrong with that, but that's all he would have been. God had in mind, in his timing, in his precise knowledge of what was necessary to fulfill prophecy on a much bigger scale than just the immediate context of Zacharias and Elizabeth, He knew that he wanted to give them the first cousin of the Son of God. He wanted Jesus, Jesus, a relative, a relative born to Mary. He wanted to give to them the last of the Old Testament prophets. He wanted to give to them the one who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way, prepare the way for the Savior of the world. He had something more in mind than just giving them a baby boy. He chose them to be the ones who would raise the last of the old prophets. John the baptizer. John the Baptist. Folks, listen. The Lord hadn't forgotten a syllable of a prayer you've prayed. The Lord hadn't gotten distracted by all the billions that would be of prayers that would be coming his way. He's God and he loves you and he knows you and his hopes for you are bigger and further than the hopes that you would even have for yourself. Now there can be in the process of that human disappointments, can't there? Ways that we would feel like, Lord, this is the way you're going to answer this prayer. This is the time. This is the place. This is the people. Here's the way you're going to do it. And that season passes. And the enemy sitting on the fence post out there underneath in the shade of some mesquite bush in the heat of our day says back to us, pushing our button, God didn't hear your prayer. You don't matter to him. You've messed up for too long that when your name comes up, he just just wants to stomp and turn the other way. You've blown it so badly that's the devil talking, and doesn't he know how to push our buttons? And the truth of the matter is, the Lord knows your heart. The Lord knows what he put in your heart to look to him to do. He has a timing. He has a way. And I want you to notice this too, folks. The hopes that the Lord has for you at their core are going to be beyond just what is possible in the natural human condition with regard to both Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary. For what the angel had said would happen to them to happen, which was the expression of God's hope for them, it would require the supernatural power of God being poured out into them physically. They would be the recipients of God's power personally touching their lives, unlike it had ever happened before in all of human history. Zacharias and Elizabeth were among many priestly couples. Why did the Lord pick them? Why, Why not some of the sharper, younger ones with all their future out in front of them? Why did the Lord pick them? Why didn't the Lord pick others? It's because he saw their hearts. He saw their hearts of decades of seeking him and loving him and trying to follow him and do what was right in his sight. And heaven, listen, heaven knows your name. The the, the rest of the folks on your street may not know your name. But when your heart is bent toward him, and to honor him and to please him, to seek his face is the passion of your life. Heaven knows your name. And heaven will spare no expense at the right time to unveil into your life and into your heart even if it means physical changes, physical movement, the fulfillment of his hope for you. You move over to Mary. We, we, there's just so little we know about her. And this is a blowaway. In the culture in those days, Couples would get engaged. It was not uncommon for the girl to be 14, 15, 16 years old, for the young man to be 17, 18, 19. They were generally regarded as very young teenagers. Out of all the possibles, for God in heaven to look across the Human race and pick out one female who would be the earthly mother of his son, of the son who would be born, who would be raised, who would die on the cross for the sins of the world. How and why did he pick Mary? Zacharias and Elizabeth could have said, tried to write things off. We're too old. We're too old. Abraham and Sarah, the same thing. We're too old. Mary? I'm just a kid. I've never had a baby. I'm not even married. And you're coming here telling me that I'm going to have this child, and this child is going to be ascending to the throne of his father David, and his, his kingdom will be without end. I'm blown away, angel. Are you crazy? I'm 15 years old, I'm 14 years old, I'm 16 years old. But somehow, God can say back to us, don't you ever tell me you're too young. Don't you ever tell me you're too old. Don't you ever tell me you're whatever, that you're saying disqualifies you from being chosen and picked and used by me. I see your heart. And my heart is drawn to your heart. And I love what I'm what my spirit is doing in your heart. And I bless you because I love you. And I bless you because I have the power to keep you where you need to be doing what you need to do in order for you to fulfill my mission for you in this life. We would never have heard of Mary if heaven hadn't noticed Mary. But if I was saying, but that was Mary, that was Zacharias and Elizabeth, that, that was John the Baptist's parents, this was Jesus's earthly mother. And, and as if we, we try to set that aside, as if that's the only thing we're to know about them, we get the background on their lives so that you and I can get some hope that if Mary was an unknown, you may be an unknown. Mary was young and ignorant in many ways and untrained and educated in many ways, but that didn't stop God from picking her. Don't write yourself off. Mary and Zacharias and Elizabeth could have given the excuse, we can't do this and we can't do that and we're not able to do what we used to do and all those other things If the Lord was saying. What is impossible with man is possible with God. There is nothing impossible with God. Now, I'm praying that while you're listening to me, there's some of you, and it's it's happening just as we speak, there was a reminder of something that you believe the Lord put on your heart, spoke to your heart maybe years ago, decades ago, or maybe just a few minutes ago. And as I'm saying these words, nothing is impossible with God. God doesn't stutter. He doesn't make stuff up. He doesn't waste words. He says things because he means them. And it's only a matter of when. It's not a matter of if. It's going to happen. So embrace it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Say like Mary said, be it done unto me as the Lord has spoken. Here I am, a bond slave, a servant of the Lord, be it done unto me, as you have said. The Father's hopes for you are bigger because they will require His supernatural intervention. And further than your hopes or my hopes for ourselves, further in the sense that what He does What he does is intended for a much broader audience, a much greater impact than just our immediate and close at hand context. In both of these situations, the angel was saying to them, this this John will be used of God to impact many lives. Many will be turned back to the Lord. Many will rejoice. Many will be affected. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than just the two of you, mom and dad. It's bigger than just the two of you. And for Mary, this child will ascend to a throne, the dominion of which, the authority of which will last forever, Mary. Here's here's our here's our problem. Our hopes sometimes are just so close that they're they're so small. I could just hope for this. If, if you'd ask Mary, what was your hope over well, the angel talked to you? Well, you're not sure. I'd like to get married and maybe I'd like to have a family. But you're telling me you you bringing up to me something about this little sort of baby having in fact for, for, rule the nations of the world and all the I I, I don't I just don't get that. I can't understand that. That's one of the things when you, when you may know that you've been impacted by the hope of God res, resonating with your heart, it's because it can so blow you away, it can be like he must be mistaken. He must be talking to somebody else. It's like when Jesus had to say to the 120 following the resurrection, they'd seen him crucified. He was raised, he was standing before them now, and he says to them, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth, right here in the place of your worst nightmare, where terror had victimized the early church because of what they saw happen to Jesus. But now they see him alive, that death didn't hold him. The grave couldn't keep him. He's there in front of them and he's saying, your assignment is to be a witness of me right here, where they killed me, where they have threatened you. But you will be able to do that Because I'm going to be imparting to you power that you don't have right now. My power, the power of the Spirit to cause the fear of death, the fear of the disapproval of people to pale in comparison with the joy that you now feel of me alive in you. Amen. Amen. So where are you today with your hopes? Where are you today with your wishes? I want to just remind you that no matter how impossible the impossibility may seem, how far the calendar has ticked, how young, how inexperienced, or how old or how weak, None of that has any impact on the power of God, diminishing the power of God for him to do in you and with you what he wants to do. If you're looking for safe little Christianity, if you're looking for a little polite little Everybody just, all church is, just show up on Sunday, curtsy, flip God a quarter, and then go on the rest of your life. Then there's none of what I'm saying will, will, will make any sense or have you'll have any interest in But I'm talking to the daring ones who are listening. I'm talking to ones who desire for your life to be burned up by the power of God flowing through you. I'm talking to the ones who the last thing that you want to be said about you is that he was normal or she was normal. Just a normal nothing. No impact, no reach, no need for the power of God to fill you. But where, there are some crazy people listening to me. Some crazy people. Lord, whatever it means, for you to take somebody, forgive them, wash them, let them know they've been called unto you, that they belong to you. They're not a stepchild. They're an adopted child, that the spirit of the Son is going off in my heart, and I cry out to heaven, Abba, Father. Lord, I want to know, I want to know what it is for you to fill me with your Spirit and for you to take me to the places that you want me to be. And if it means that you've got to supernaturally open the doors and it won't be me leveraging people I know or paying people off, I'm in. If you can take this ordinary, common bump on the pickle, and turn me into something that brings glory to your name, that causes folks to marvel at how could somebody so ordinary be so bold and so confident in this Jesus? Then do it in me. Then do it in me. We need to have had enough of polite Christianity well behaved, every hair in place. Nobody gets upset. For goodness sakes, if that's where you want to stay, don't pray to be filled with the spirit of the ultimate revolutionary, the ultimate one who came to this earth to set captives free and to speak into an institution that had all the verses and all the hymns and all the structure. It just didn't have any life. It just didn't have any power. John said, here's how you'll know that you've met the real Jesus, the real Messiah. He, when he comes, will baptize you with his spirit and with fire, fire, fire in your soul, fire in your mind, the fire of his joy. Fire of his life, the fire of his passion, the fire of his purpose, some way, somehow, heaven noticed that kind of heart in those two older folks, Zacharias and Elizabeth. Somehow, heaven noticed that kind of heart in that 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old Mary, and as a result of God fulfilling his hope in their lives, we have been affected. The rest of the world has been changed. You be that young girl. You be that older couple. You be that one who would dare to say, Lord, my ordinariness is blinding and numbing. I give my heart to you. I bow before your throne. Fill me with your spirit and do with me what you choose to do. You will never regret that prayer unless you want a well-behaved, normal life. Boy, I got quiet after I said that. It's not that everything is chaotic and everything's crazy. But it just means that you won't be, your life will no longer be dictated by what people think about you. They won't own you anymore. He owns you. Lord, whatever it is that you want, that's what I choose. Okay. I need to ask you to turn somewhere with me that's going to look like it's just a total disconnect from where we've been. But trust me, it isn't. I want you to go back to about the third book in your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Fourth book in your Bible. Book of Numbers. Book of Numbers in Numbers chapter 6. There are some places in the Scripture, and this is one of them, when the hope of God for his people, the hopes that God has for you or for me are stated. It's not an exhaustive list but it's an expression of his heart. What we're going to read here is the instruction that was given to Moses to give to Aaron and the rest of the priests, Aaron the high priest, and the rest of the priestly group to speak to the children of Israel, to speak to the families of Israel. You say, well, this is Israel, that's Old Testament, Israel, we're New Testament. Well, the good news is That we are heirs of Abraham's promises, Paul would say, because we too are people of faith. Abraham is described as the father of our faith. He He believed God for the promise given to him about Isaac coming, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Because he believed God, he was forgiven, and he was brought into a right relationship with the Lord. We believe As Abraham believed, he didn't know Jesus. He didn't didn't see Jesus as we can look back and see historically that Jesus, the Christ, came. But he was looking toward the Lord just as we look to the Lord when we put our faith in Christ. And so we are called heirs of Abraham's promises. We are a part of the covenant family. So we do have a spot at the table when it comes to this blessing being spoken By Aaron to the children of Israel. But I want you to listen to this as it expressing the hope of the father for his children. What his desires are, what his wishes are, what his expectations are. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse 23, number 6. Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel. Another word for invoke so shall they put my name on the sons of Israel. They would put the name of the Lord on the sons of Israel by saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. That's putting the name of the Lord on the people of the Lord. And then he says, after the priests have done that, I then will bless my people. Years ago, here at Alamo City, during the season of the promise keepers, the movement of men across the nation, there came to our attention, and it caught our attention, many of our men in our Community, our family. One of the speakers and leaders to a degree in the Promise Keepers was a former professional football player for the Cleveland Browns defensive end named Bill Glass. Bill had come to know the Lord and felt a very strong calling into the prisons of the country, across the country. He rose to speak about what he had seen in the prisons. And he said this, I have yet to find one man in all of the thousands of prisons he had been to and the tens of thousands of inmates he had spoken to. I have yet to find one man in prison who would say that he ever heard his father say, his earthly father say, I love you. I'm proud of you. I bless you. Tens of thousands of men having never heard the blessing of their father. He challenged men across the country in these gatherings. And we were impacted by that here at Alamo City. Husbands, dads, whatever you do, speak blessing to your children. We we took we took this serious. Our little guys were Evan was about this big, and now he's about this big, and Katie and Abby and We began to gather before bedtime at night down the hallway from our bedroom. And I started it myself. I started it. The blessings, they were always spoken. And they usually involve some kind of physical touch, physical expression. The hand on the forehead or on the shoulders. And I had to implement this, initiate this. Shirley was absolutely supportive. Before we went to bed, we would gather in our little circle, and I would try to get two hands on three kids. You had to move to do that. And I would look into their eyes and would say, The Lord bless you. And keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, when you got a three-year-old or a four-year-old and you got multi words working in the deal, they're not going to get the definitions of those things. But I think what the kids sensed and felt, was that there was something beyond just what was in the room and what dad was saying, that the Lord was here. And I did that two or three times. And then they decided that daddy needed that too. And mama needed that too. And so their little pudgy hands, as we would put our hands on them, I'm not kidding you, we didn't ask them to do it, but their little hands would start coming back on us. They would have to bend over, and we would be saying it, looking through the arms and the fingers, the Lord bless you. And keep little children, the voices, they're saying that. Fast forward 30 years. I could call all three of those up here on the platform and Shirley would join me. And on cue, looking into each other's eyes, not looking around, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. They would stand in a hurdle, and they're all this size now. And there would be more than just a tear or two. It came to be a part of the fabric of our family. Shirley and I haven't done everything right as parents, especially the dad hasn't done everything right as a parent. But some way, somehow, that statement of the father's hope for children, for his children, it's the Lord's heart to bless you. It's the Lord's heart to keep you. It is the Lord's heart to lift up his countenance upon you, to cause his face to shine upon you with favor and approval and nearness to give you peace. Kurt Nelson, our associate pastor, Kurt was here, and I'm sure he's somewhere else now, but welcomed us this morning. He came with tears in his eyes, followed me over there after the service this morning. There are three grown ones, the same age as pretty much of our three. They did that At, at, at weddings recently. Whenever there's some kind of a need for the family to collectively bond together and be close and hear each other's heart with tears, Kurt couldn't hardly talk about it. Give an expression after expression of how those grown children now, from their own words out of their own mouths, can repeat it. The Lord bless you, and the Lord keep you. The Lord cause His face to shine upon you. He speaks of that twice. Cause His face to shine upon you. Lift up His countenance upon you. You, 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 you. The only way you can see somebody's face is if you're in the presence of the one. Whose face you see. The Lord was saying, I want my people to know my nearness. I want my people to know my closeness. David would say, the nearness of my God is my good. It is the Lord's heart for you and me for us to know, to be blessed by the sense of His presence and be gracious, meaning in seasons, where life is hard and things can be lonely and separations can happen, that word gracious means especially the kindness of the God, kindness of God being poured out upon the poor and needy. Would you stand with me? We're not done yet, so ladies, you can leave your 40-pound purse underneath and Guys, you just hang on a minute. Babe, if you're married, I want you to turn toward each other, if you would. Those of you who are a part of our streaming family and you're sitting together, maybe in a group by yourself, but if you are a couple I want you to just turn toward each other if if you are friends if you you have a brother or sister in Christ who's with you you may just want to do this with them I want to speak this over the whole group and then we're going to do it again and I'm going to ask you to repeat after me As you look into the eyes, look into the eyes, look into the soul of the one you're speaking this to, will you receive this? Will you just open your hands? The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, in the name of his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now will you turn to I ask them in the early service, you put your hands like that. <laughs> Husbands. I'll, I'll take you through it. This is kind of like we're saying our vows again. It's just a little different. But friends can do this too. And you can say this to each other. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. I got the words all wrong, didn't I? (laughs) But we got most of it, right? (laughs) I would encourage you to um, consider making that a part of what you do at home. and Especially dads. You need to let your children hear you say that you love them and you bless them. Don't assume they know it. Say it. Say it. And then to each other, we, we do. We. On a somewhat regular basis, kids are scattered now. They're grown, married, living in their own places. But as Christmas approaches, and probably this coming Christmas Eve as we're together, someone will say, Can we can we do the daddy blessing? That's what they call it. It's no guarantee that there won't be challenges and issues, but here here's what it does: it establishes a place to come home to home for the heart. The Father's hopes for you are greater and further than your hopes for yourself. Amen. Prayer partners, will you join me here at the front? And we want to pray with you and stand with you for things going on in your life that we can encourage you about and with, and especially if this is the season in your life where you're ready to receive the Lord, open your heart to receive Jesus, we'd love to talk with you about that, pray with you about that. This is also a season of the year when the needs can be pronounced and great in families and the financial material needs are there. As the Lord puts it in your heart to maybe help us with our benevolence ministry, just with some gifts of kind or some gifts financially. Do as the Lord prompts you to do, online or here at the church. God bless you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you Tuesday night for those of you who can join us. Otherwise, next Sunday, God bless you. Thank you for being here.